just saying within the structure and the um, of the community and the way you live it, just just bring into your mind a desire to please others or to not offend anyone or to uh, one of them is one of the great Bawadanhan uh, problems in a community like this is desire for harmony and uh, you want you want everybody to be in harmony. And so everything becomes rather kind of bland and tasteless. And everybody's trying to not offend anyone, and everybody's being so nice about everything that that it's that there's a kind of dishonesty, and it's really boring uh, to try to just just make everything nice and and everyone live in harmony. Some of the some of the monks I know they get very upset if there's any sign of disharmony, and yet disharmony is part of life also, isn't it? We don't always have to be in harmony, and and if if we're you know trying to make it or live kind of enforce harmony, it becomes we can become uh, you know very blinded by this desire because it seems like a very good one isn't it but then when you look at it you look at it it's a selfish desire i want things to be harmonious because i don't want to be upset by anything strife or conflict upset me terribly and i can't stand it and so so i want every i don't and we just try to ignore issues or not speak about things or just stiff upper lip or or paint a pretty picture or think pink and be positive is uh, it's all you know quite quite uh, brave to try to to enforce positivity all the time but and, but in doing that also is it we, we don't develop certain other abilities understanding profound understanding because our life tends to be mainly based on on trying to get by in this in a kind of vague and and uh, mediocre way. <coughs> it's one thing I like about Italy, Venerable, is the kind of uh, Italian temperament is so kind of <laughs> warm-hearted, but it's not so harmonious, is it? But it's more kind of true in a way, honest. Because mm. a holy life isn't just uh, an exercise in in, uh, in just kind of being virtuous alone and being <coughs> obedient and kind and generous and all that. It's, it's a tremendous honesty and willingness to, to really... Uh, Pursue the goal, not just to kind of abide in a in in bland ideas. So it's it's willing to really really delve into your heart and to to uh, really look at what's going on and look at it. and if nothing if you're just feeling dull and 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 dreary then. That's something to, to really accept in consciousness. And sometimes we, we keep hidden so many 
of our passions that we, we all we know is a kind of bland dreariness of our of our mind. And it's a kind of like the cover, the thing that covers it. So we have to really look at that also, that kind of bland and and uh, fuzziness and boredom and doubt. Rather than, I mean, the passion, more kind of anger and hatred, more kind of fascinating problems. Rage and passion and kind of stimulating. Lust. Must be very exciting. The uh, looking into, bearing with. I've told you many times, uh, you know how I was would take things like not being sure, uncertainty, and just and just investigate it endlessly. Just the feeling of not being sure who I am or what I'm supposed to do, or just uh, doubting and and, and uh, fearing things and being worried. Well, I'd investigate, not not analyze, not, not analysis on a on the personal problem, but really just knowing the ins and outs of those mental states, those kind of dreary, uh, unpleasant mental states. Till you really understand them, you know them. The doubt, it is really it is a tremendous effort on, put one tremendous effort on doubt for two years. It's dedicated my two years of, of hard slog on doubt. Now I really understand it. I know what it is. <laughs> And that's just the kind of, well, on this retreat, I think I'll investigate doubt. And, and then when you don't really get it very well, then you think, oh, maybe I'll do meta practice. Maybe I need more faith. I need more meta. And meta gets boring, and you, you doubt whether you're really doing it right. Then you go into anapanasati or into something else. It just kind of float around on within the ra- allowable range of practices. But if you really know, you know, you, know you, you must be aware of the particular obstacles that, that in, your, in your practice. I, I, well, I found doubt was one of a very powerful obstacle. And, and, and uh, it, was, it was an obsession of my mind. I was constantly uh, in this state of uncertain, in, in wallowing in uncertainty, insecurity, and doubting about myself, about everything, everything I <coughs> touched, everything around me would be would be flavored, would be stained with this doubt. You know, really investigate. Though I take things like. Big doubts, like 
am I capable of becoming a sotapanna? Or a little doubt is, uh, uh, where did I put my uh, my gloves this morning? <laughs> or, or an important and big important existential doubt. What is the true purpose and meaning of life? Or uh, absolutely nonsensical doubt, like uh, you know, is a what's the nature of a, a bubble gum? <laughs> but whatever they, we're not, we're not, uh, we're not uh, emphasizing the the quality, whether it's important or trivial or or a big doubt or a little one, we're, we're just looking at the doubt itself, what doubt is as an experience. So what, what's the true nature of bubblegum is your mind still goes into a state of not being sure. I don't know what it is. True nature of bubblegum. And even though it's nonsense, it's, you know, it still takes you to the same place as what is the ultimate purpose of our existence. Is there a is there a God or not? And you then you 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 uh, by investigating that way over and over, not just not just playing around with it, but <coughs> using everything in your life, all the doubts and little trivial and and magnificent and grand or important or silly or absurd. The whole, the whole range, as just to see that where the mind stops thinking, and to to really be feel at ease with with not being sure, uncertainty, and insecurity. Because the more you 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 realize insecurity rather than react to it. And you you find you, you you find tremendous peace in being insecure and uncertain in just the, your relationship to me. If you feel frightened of me or or very uh, you know very insecure or threatened by me, then that's something to to use as a as a, a not as an analysis, but as a as an object for reflection. Remember, fear is something you pick up. Very, it's instinctual. I can pick it up, like a, like an animal. <laughs> so, or desire to please, or to uh, all this kind of thing is it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, always wanting to, to look good or be acceptable. These things are, we're not here to, to get involved in those kind of relationships. Not, I'm not interested in, in, uh, in forming personal relationships with anyone. But, the, but I'm quite keen on, on uh, just uh, using a situation for Dhamma. And we tend to resort to our own past
patterns, habit patterns. So, so you find oftentimes uh, how you relate to me is, is anybody who has some kind of authority. Oh, I have a lot of influence and power in this community. Oh, I can decide, make decisions that affect you. I have power over your lives. Don't I? So uh, I were like a father figure, or a, you know, somebody, a school headmaster, or in his roles, a, a big man, a big male figure. And so this is, this uh, is not asking you to 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 have any particular feeling about it, but to note the feelings that do rise. Like saying, you must respect me. You don't even have to respect me. It's your business if you respect me or don't. I don't think you should respect me just because I'm big uh, abbot of a monastery. So then you can you can use the situation for. If, 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 if say you how you relate to me is done to just to notice, be honest about it. To and to to see it from there is rather than I I have this problem or I have a I don't have a very good relationship with Arjun Sameta or or these kind of <clears throat> Kind of personal feelings you might have is these are not these are not reflections those are personality views you know whether you don't need to have a good relationship with me that's not the point we're not after good relationships but in understanding dhamma and when you meet you know monks and nuns who have a maturity you really enjoy because there's no games there's no kind of games being played and no assumptions being made it's very relieving to be around mature human beings but tell the truth it is a pain in the neck to be around people that are making all kinds of assumptions about you or endlessly looking at you in foolish ways or or wanting your attention, or wanting you, or relationship with you, or wanting something or other, or trying to avoid you, trying to to uh, run away. I mean, these these kinds of things one one endures because that's the way life is. You can't I'm not asking. I mean, it's important would be very immature of me to expect everybody to be mature. But I do appreciate maturity in human beings because <coughs> emotional maturity because it's there's a there there it is a very uh, natural pleasant relaxed uh, <clears throat> relationship way of, of being with each other in which there's no there's no uh, falseness or foolishness so say. Uh, when uh, when 
when somebody treats me as a, a you know starts looking at me and as a father or as a this or that or or wants me to be something or other or then then you're always you're, you're you know you you're always having to look you're having to treat them as a child or somebody inferior to you because they act that way not because they are because they act like that <laughs> so I mean it's uh, it's uh, not just the, the way it is when when people are mature emotionally balanced mature and and uh, then then there's equality and no matter if you're habit or junior nun or lay person that's not those are not that is the determination of maturity is it but there's equality in that there's because you look at each other as people uh, of equal, you know, as equals, you're not, you're not thinking in terms, you're not putting each other into positions of dependency or, or attachments. So when, when, uh, when people, like you hear some monks or nuns say, you have to respect me, because I'm senior and that and you think, good God, <laughs> how can you expect anyone, how can you respect anyone who asks you to respect them? Or, uh, you know, uh, just, uh, or the, the idea that, that on the hierarchical structure that I'm senior, therefore I'm, you know, you can, you can look at me as a, as a kind of uh, threatening figure who who's, who uh, intimidates you because you're you're only an anagarika or something. That's the, the that's the illusion of hierarchy. But in maturity, in right understanding, then equality lies in right understanding, not in the hierarchical position. That I see very clearly. And uh, I mean, people want want to be treated as equals, but how many of you really are capable of being equal, or how many of you still are very much, uh, you know, attached to positions in a hierarchy, or in a, an attitude of, of dependency, emotional dependencies, and attachments, and fears, and desires? As long as one is identified and caught into those, then then there's no possibility for equality, because one is always attached, becoming things that are that are uh, that don't allow for equality to be realized. These are reflections. Huh? When we say we're all equal, that's that's a grand generalization, but it isn't the way it generally is in a practical situation, is it? They say in wisdom, there's equality. In ignorance, in the conditioned realm, it's all unequal. The conditions, 
the five khandhas and all this. It's, there's no equality amongst the conditioned realm, amongst the conditions. It's all variations, different amounts and qualities. That's the conditioned realm. So where equality can only be is in through right understanding of the conditioned realm. Then there's then there is equality, freedom, those American values. In the, some of you, just because of the, the, the negative states, you don't really, uh, you, whatever you do, you tend to interpret on a personal level. So, so it's, uh, you're endlessly, uh, failing in this life. And that's where, if you're, if you're, if you're a failure, a total failure, inept and inferior, then look at that feeling. Really, you know, like you say, I'm a failure, I'm hopeless case, and I'm inferior kind of person. Then I really, I, I bring that in. What is it, what is that really in, as an experience? And I, I'm not going to say, well, you know, you're not really, you're just as good as everyone else. Everyone's equal. We're all here, brothers and sisters in the Dhamma, and the kind of pep talks you can give yourself. Don't bother with that. I mean, if you're going to be a failure and a, and a hopeless case, then, then really be that and investigate that whole feeling of just being worthless. And, and, uh, so that you, you, you're not, you're not just trying to convince yourself that you're not. You're not, uh, dismissing it, trying to ignore it or just push it aside, but you can actually, you have permission to be total failure here. But not to attach to being a failure, but to have the freedom to investigate the whole feeling of, of being inferior or, or not as good as, or, uh, something wrong, or these kind of uh, attitudes can be so easily, you know, don't be silly, you know, you're just as good as anyone else. You kind of don't make a thing of it, don't, don't, uh, don't make a nuisance of yourself, don't be silly. The kind of inner tyrants can be like these, you know, like I remember going to my mother and I was about, you know, 14 years old and 15 years old going out on a, to a dance, first dance, you know, and, and I said, what should I do for this dance? How should I act? And she said, mother, oh, you're such a charming boy, just be yourself. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? <laughs> <laughs> What's myself? <laughs> uh, 
about it. You're just, just you know, you're you're just as good as anyone else, and all this kind of thing. Mother's the mother that says, "Don't be silly," you know, and kind of give you a little pep talk. <coughs> you're really very handsome young man and very charming, and and so that you, that's that's one thing, but. And maybe that's necessary at that age. But at our age, we can really look at the feeling of, you know, who am I? And uh, I mean, no matter, I mean, some of the most charming and attractive people in the world are amazed sometimes at their feelings of total inadequacy. They think, if I look like that, and and was that well-liked and that charming, I probably wouldn't have any problems at all. I'd just be happy all the time. Because I'd be so good-looking and charming, and I just all my problems would be would have disappeared, and I just live in this realm of happiness all the time. But that's not the case. Uh, the most uh, incredibly glamorous people I've known, and charming, talented beings, are some of the most insecure, wretched. <laughs> <coughs> Now it's not not a matter of of uh, acquisition or or getting anything in the world, but in understanding that you you find uh, liberation. How many facelifts and that can you have, and how perfect can your features get, and still you feel just as insecure as ever? And if I just if I just had a little taken off my nose, like some women. Just get something done to their face because that's bothered them their whole life, and then they do it. They find still in the same boat. That Italian princess <laughs> that wrote that book on beauty, I mean, she she had she started out very kind of plain looking uh, woman, you know, not terribly beautiful, but she had wealth as she went. So all these plastic surgeons and everything she had all kinds of nose done to perfect dimensions and eyes done and and had kind of things put into her hips and things put into her breasts. I thought it'd be nice when she died she'd leg us her skeleton, you know, this kind of interesting collection of bones with a kind of plastic insect. On and on, in the age of 40, 50, they're still waiting to, you know, get the, hoping that their cos- uh, cosmetic surgery will improve, so you can do something a real, a total, uh, a complete body transplant, sixty-year-old body to a twenty-year-old body. But even if you could do that, you'd still, you still, the, the problem isn't with the body or with the features or unfortunate features or anything like that it's with the, it's with the mind also just to, to brighten the mind to lift it up to to emphasize it encouraging you to to not just sit in in the, as a kind of endurance test or or as a 
kind of duty or to really work at it to to put to to be attentive to to what you're doing so you're not just sitting in kind of in a dull state for an hour or peace thinking peace is just being dull and and unaware of anything or just being in, in just kind of willfully enduring something this is, remember, the, the mind is, true nature is bright, so you're, you're calling upon that you, you really have to abide in that, in the ability to be mindful, aware in a moment. That's all it takes. To get samadhi is, is one kind of view that's quite dangerous, thinking I've got to get the samadhi just by sitting here and making myself get something called samadhi, is, uh, can be a very deluding idea. But just the brightness of the mind right now, what is that? To be alert. Even even with uh, with dullness. So if you're if you're feeling mentally dull, then then that which is aware of dullness, what is that? And if you're if you're just trying to get rid of dullness, then you're then you're reacting to dullness. You're not. You're not. You're not transcending it. So all you do is <coughs> is is struggle with it, fight it, and then eventually you give up to it and just become dull. So instead of doing that, you you work with it. You you bring attention. You pay attention to to whatever way you're feeling. You can feel bright or dull or positive or negative, happy or miserable, uh, full of faith, full of doubt. But the, but that, uh, why, why the way out of suffering is through mindfulness is because it's always here and now, not dependent upon conditions being any certain way, and it's not... Uh, it's, it's, it's transcending the conditioned realm. Because it's it, you can because dullness is can be observed can be reflected upon means that you're transcending it when you're when you're reflecting on it when you're acknowledging its presence when you're when you're accepting it for what it is you're neither suppressing or indulging then that then you're then at that moment is is the opening to transcendent realization. But as soon as you start thinking, oh, where is this transcendent realization you're talking about? You're lost in, in an idea again. This is where the faith or trust is necessary, and where you're, you're just willing to, to, to spend the rest of your life just trying, putting a little more effort, being patient, just two more seconds, being, uh, being uh, a little more mindful, uh, working with with life in it, in it kind of seemingly inconsequential and uh, unimpressive aspects, rather than trying to become the arahant, you're 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 the you're the uh, samana who's learning to just be a little more patient, rather than the meditator who's going to get samadhi. And get some insights. You're, 
you change from becoming the meditator who's going to get something to being a, the the samanad, the being the, with just watching and observing that desire, that 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 desire to get something or that compulsion. I'm, I've got to get something out of it. I've got to achieve. Sometimes when you're feeling really tired or dull, and you, if you're mindful, you can actually feel it like your whole body and, and your posture and everything in this kind of dullness. It has its own, the whole thing is being affected by it. You can, if you, more, well, you can sometimes just have that, that insight into just a, a sense of, of the whole formation being caught in in the in how one the posture of the body the the and the mental attitude really support each other. So like like you notice when some of you sit and your head goes down, your whole your whole character becomes dull. You know, just the head, the posture, the the whole thing. Because uh, you can just see it as soon as, as soon as the, this triggers it off, the posture can trigger off, the, and they support the whole uh, condition. So this is why we 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 rise up, you know, we pull upward, we we sit up straight, we pay attention to the breath. This is like putting attention onto. Rising up rather than sinking into into the into the mud, into the bog, and so learning to sustain it, and 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 to reflect on it, not to just to to get to to know what it's like, to investigate the body when you when there is mindfulness, to really see that the body itself, when when you're mindful of it, is this way. When you're not mindful of it, then you fall right into old habit patterns. Your body goes into its habitual posture and mind into its habitual pattern. And then you can remind yourself, pull it up, pull the body up, pay attention, listen. Sustain that sense of listening. With Jitanupatana, if you're in a mood, you're having a hard time, uh, you're in a, a strong mood, or even in a dull mood, or a kind of confused mood, really reflect on the mood. It's like this. So you're, you're accepting in consciousness the mood rather than the you don't accept it, you react to it. The reaction is karma. Isn't it? You're, you're reacting, you know, you make karma with your moods all the time. The more you react to your moods, indulging and suppressing, then you become somebody who has all these moods. And so it, it, uh, you're, you're karmically connected to it. But when there is awareness, and the mood can be any which way, it can be it can be a 
good mood or it can be just very confused, amorphous feeling. There, it feels this way. There's this attentive awareness onto the mood itself. It's, it becomes objectified, and then you you're not making karma with it because you're seeing it. You're you're letting go of it. You're you're accepting it, and you're letting go of it because ubadana is always a, a, the grasping of a mood, either through grasping through indulging in it or grasping through kind of getting rid of it. They think, I shouldn't feel this way. I shouldn't feel like this. I should... Uh, the judge the, the judge, judge comes out and said, tells you what, how, what kind of mood you should have. And, and uh, we all know what moods we should have, according to our <laughs> no, The judge is a real bore, because they, they tell you what you know already. Don't you? Yeah. And like going to some people for advice, they, they already tell you what you know already. You think, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you should be noble enough, right? <laughs> some people, you know, they just say the same thing. They, you, know, you know what they're going to say. There's no point in asking them for advice. Do we know? I mean, the, we all know the party line here, don't we? <laughs> Said it long enough, and, and we know how we should feel and how we should be and what a good monk is and a good nun is and all that. And that's the, so you don't need to come and ask me about that. Every time you're slightly off or not very good nun or monk, then the then this this gentleman, you shouldn't be like this. You shouldn't think like that. A good nun does not act like that. A good monk should be like this. You all know that. So, so that's the ideal realm. That's the realm of ideas. And then then now we're working in the realm of say with jitana padma, just learning to understand the nature of the jitta of of the the mood, the the flow in consciousness, the things that uh, that we are experiencing in, in in either the in 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 one pointedness or in dispersed consciousness, confusion, love and hate. Like if you hate, you really hate, investigate hate. If you hate me sometimes, just really hate me. Don't go, oh, I shouldn't hate I don't Samira. <laughs> but really investigate, listen to it. Listen to it. I used to hate Ajahn Chah. You go through periods where I couldn't stand him. <coughs> but I would... I'd use it. I mean, I, God, I hate this man. Well, I remember going Wat Ba Po one time thinking, he's like Big Brother in, in uh, that Orwell book, 1984. You know, Lung Po's everywhere. You know, he's, he's behind every bush. 
you can, as soon as you come in the gate, you feel his presence. His, you just feel that, that wherever he, you know, he's, he's behind every corner, knowing everything. I think it's demonic. I think I better get out of here. I think really he's probably some kind of devil in disguise. You know, and doubts and then these kind of thoughts and, and uh, aversion and resentment resented uh, having to you know because he was he could he could make my life happy or miserable he could smile at me and i feel happy he could look at me and frown at me or uh, insult me and i feel miserable so somebody that has that kind of power is is, uh, you you love and you hate so but then the, the, the practice is on uh, Jitanupasana, Vedanupasana, Jitanupasana, so you, you, you learn from it. So, Haiti Mangpacha, was, I was never afraid to do that. I've never been that idealistic. <laughs> No, I'm not, I'm not, I've never been terribly idealistic. And so I'm quite willing to, I've always been willing to kind of uh, look at and kind of try to, try to understand these forces that affect my mind. So I used to really bring into my mind that hatred and, and, uh, and I'd listen to myself. I tried to bring up and he's this way and he's that way and I doubt this and I don't like that and I saw him do this and he shouldn't have done that and it disappointed me and and then you you listen you try to, to bring up as much be as critical and as and, and, and angry as possible in, and really really listening you know listening so and it kind of wears itself out it comes comes uh, Becomes like the dragon that that looks fierce, but on when you really study and look at a dragon, it shrivels up into nothing. And the dragons are these these fantastic creatures that breathe fire and they're absolutely terrifying. They come at you; they absolutely terrifying. Imagine these huge serpent-like dragons breathing fire. What would you do? You'd run, wouldn't you? Every one of you. Run as fast as you could, but as soon as you turn around and you look at the dragon, he kind of goes all limp, shrivels up, because dragons can only can can only can control through through deluding you. You know, so they have to look horrendous, frightening, but on. Reflection. When you stop and look at them, then they, then you, you see that they're just—it's all just show and pretend, appearance. So you can send message to your dragon. <laughs>